Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 174, for the 19th of November, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, coming to you from Washington, D.C. this week with my friend Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Now, are you actually in the District of Columbia, or are you in one of the many hotels just across the border in Virginia? Uh, actually, technically, I'm across the Potomac in, in Old Town, Alexandria, which is uh, quite a, a nice little area, although it's uh, there's a bit of a cold front in, in North America right now. So even though I'm south of the Mason-Dixon line, it is in fact one degree centigrade. You'd be justified in saying, gosh, it's freezing, even though technically it is not. Well, that's true, although I have a hunch by the time we're done with this podcast and I go outside, um, it probably will be below zero. Um, not, at least, uh, unlike the Carter.sue fraudster, we're not doing it for nine years. So he's going to be serving nine years in a very cold, unwelcoming jail cell, from what I see, and ordered to pay back nearly $51 million. So I guess even if you steal $50 million, crime doesn't pay, huh? I do hope they get it back, because I presume that's restitution to the people he stole it from. He was also famously charged with racketeering, wasn't he? Because he had more than 15 credit cards or something. Some people said, oh, it's not really racketeering. But it turns out he was part of essentially a card or ring. It just not perhaps organised crime in the, the old school TV soap opera sense. If he was able to pull down $50 million worth of fraudulent charges, it wasn't just a small time operation, which is why he got a stiff penalty. That's a good point, Duck. I mean, he was he was selling fake identification, other things, too. It wasn't just the carding. Uh, of course, I guess fake ID kind of goes hand in hand with using fake credit cards or stolen credit cards. Uh, you and I had discussed this story before, and it was interesting to us, I guess, that Visa had so much more fraud against them than, say, American Express or Discover uh, as, as part of this case. When you're selling fake IDs and stolen credit cards and things, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that he got a pretty stiff penalty. I mean, the U.S. is always... Uh, one of the places you know that you're probably going to do some pretty hard time. Hopefully these things do serve as a deterrent. It's really hard to tell whether prison sentences for committing these types of crimes really impact people's behavior. But, you know, talking to the average tech person I know, people certainly seem to believe that if they commit these types of crimes in the U.S. that they will go away. Yes, and apparently there are 56 people apprehended. 26 different people have already been convicted out of this. So it is something of a success for law enforcement, you know, for those people who are going, oh, gosh, the cops should do something about cybercrime. Well, they are trying pretty hard, and this is, I guess, one of their success stories. And, you know, I guess in a related story, uh, Jeremy Hammond, the hacker known for uh, breaking into Stratfor during the Super Bowl a few years back as part of the LulzSec uh, hacking crew, it turned out one of the ways he was busted was a poor password choice. Now, people perceive, oh, these elite hackers, they must be really good at security, and they're super smart about all the security stuff. And it turns out they make the same mistakes we do, don't they? Yes, it seems he has a cat that is named after a Star Wars character. His cat's called Chewie. You know, five characters is obviously much too short. So he added one, two, three. So... You know, I think law enforcement were on to him anyway, even if he'd used a stronger password and 2FA and all that good stuff. Let's imagine he would have been caught anyway. But it seems that even he is recognizing the irony that he's supposedly this hacker who's taking advantage of other people's weak security. 
accepts that at least part of him getting busted and ending up with a 10-year sentence wasn't his first offence, that it was kind of down to poor password hygiene. So if it matters for him, uh, sitting, looking down 10 years from the wrong end, then it certainly matters for everyone else, considering all the information that you, personal information that you protect with passwords. So speaking of passwords, uh, there was a good article by John Shire on Naked Security this week talking kind of just generally about two-factor authentication uh, or even two-step verification. There's some confusion for some folks as to whether something really counts as a second factor or not. And I think John's story is meant to really demystify it. And, and I like how, I like the presentation in the blog, how it's uh, highlights with kind of some plus and minuses what the benefits of using one cut typer over another is. Most importantly, explaining why it's worth it, whichever of the methods you choose. Well, it's not perfect, but it definitely raises the bar for the crooks. And if you read that article, first it will help convince you that you should be using 2FA, and then it will help you pick a mechanism which works well for you. And since we mentioned two-step verification, that always reminds me of Apple, which did do a minor update for their Yosemite operating system this week. OS 10 version 10.10.1. Yes, I in fact described it as potentially, depending on whom you talk to, the most anxiously awaited updates Apple have ever put out. Because people like me who've been inconvenienced by Wi-Fi problems that coincidentally started when they loaded Yosemite uh, really do need a fix. You know, this is a problem where your, your network stays up. You can, you can send ICMP traffic pings, but UDP and TCP packets just vanish. The good news is that this fix officially claims as its first bullet point improves Wi-Fi reliability. All I'm prepared to say so far is from a Wi-Fi point of view, it's no worse than it was before. Probably slightly better, actually. So those of us that are maybe not OS X users but are responsible for OS X in our environments are probably more interested in what security fixes made it into this release. The two primary things folks probably want to pay attention to are the uh, remote code execution vulnerability in WebKit. Uh, WebKit is not just used by web browsers, but it's used by lots of different applications in an operating system to render largely arbitrary content from the internet. So that's quite dangerous. Uh, and the other one's related to some privacy fixes for Spotlight. Yes, very interesting bug. Uh, it seems that, you know, with Yosemite came this Spotlight suggestions, whereby you can get Spotlight, that's the searching and indexing system that runs on your Mac so you can find files and content quickly, that it can actually call home to Apple's server, uh, you know, for extra assistance. Now you can turn that off, I actually recommend that you do, um, but let's say you want to leave it on but you turn location services off. Apparently, even if you had them off, the first time that this call home happened for the spotlight suggestions, Apple went and included your location anyway by mistake. So it's sort of like, you know, the Google Y spy bug. They went to collect one thing and accidentally collected extra data and then sort of uh, <laughs> kept it by mistake. Well, I think uh, we'll find out. I'm sure the lawyers will, will work out the details on that. Now, the, there was a poll on, on Naked Security that you posted related to this new service that Facebook's uh, discussing offering, I guess, Facebook at work to be sort of a a social network that's business-oriented, right? Well, Facebook isn't discussing it. The Financial Times has written an article saying, this is definitely happening, guys, but it's all secret. I presume they've heard about it through contacts who are in the early adoption program in London or something. 
And the idea is it sounds almost like it's a, a second Facebook, one that you use for work, um, that's separate from the Facebook you might use at home, which is in some ways a little weird. Well, if you've gone to all that trouble of banning Facebook at work because of what people might reveal, why would you now invite a work-specific Facebook to go live inside your organization? That's the bad side. The good side is why not divide and conquer? I know a lot of people personally that carry multiple cell phones for that reason alone, right? They want to keep their work life and their home life separate as, in as seamless a way as possible. And rather than worrying about privacy settings or cookies or logging in and out or anything like this, they just carry two completely separate devices and they never mix their worlds together. You know, it makes sense for Facebook if they want to try and compete with a company like LinkedIn to do it in this way. And, you know, whether you love or hate Facebook, you have to give them credit for having done the security of things like the logins, passwords, and the data they do collect, whatever you think of what they do with it afterwards, in terms of how they look after it, they've actually been pretty good, haven't they? That's true. And, you know, the, the, the early days of a lot of these services, um, you know, fighting their privacy battles, I think a lot they've kind of figured out where the lines are. You know, I know a lot of people that had quit Facebook that have gone back to it. So um, I guess we'll see how that develops. And if you want to vote in the poll, go to Naked Security and put your two cents in. Yes, and it's a very, you can't sit on the fence. It's very simple. It's about the idea of this Facebook at work. Would you use it if it were available today? Yes or no? So come and tell us what you think. Not giving any hints about which way the voting's leaning so far. But if you vote, it will show you the results to date. Now, I've, I've on occasion had a chuckle when I've received an errant email in my inbox that often will say, Dear percent percent recipient percent percent, would you like to buy a product percent percent at 30% off? 30% percent 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 percent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I had a chuckle when I saw the story on Naked Security that uh, reading from it says, I will, I'll right away, immediately take hold of, grab, clutch, grasp, seize, snatch your RSS, RSS feed, as I cannot, can't, in finding, find to find. Yes, it's, it's obviously some kind of template uh, with each line has one web forum comment spam with a whole load of alternates in squiggly brackets separated by pipe characters and something's gone wrong with their parser. And people have been having fun in the comments in that story, saying thanks for writing the article with all sorts of alternates, and we're supposed to work out <laughs> just how much praise they're giving us. It's not great that forum spam has become such a problem. You're probably familiar with what that is. It's where computers try and fill up online forums or comments with remarks that are vaguely flattering, generic sort of remarks presumably in the hope that even if there's a human moderator, but that person's in a hurry, they'll go, oh, that person's just saying thanks and approve the comment and perhaps approve a link that would actually either get search engine juice, if you like, for the site that it links to, or even get a few clicks that might generate cents or dollars here and there. Yeah, and it's, it's really unfortunate that these guys do this stuff because aside from just the junk you see out there, it has a real impact on the ability to have a, a sort of real-time conversation on the internet these days. And that you know, naked security readers probably notice that there's a variable delay before comments appear because we do have humans involved. Unfortunately, I guess to a degree, um, we're always paying a price for spam one way or another. Yes, the good news is that the the sentences that this thing makes up are so unwieldy and un-English-like that they're obvious 
to man or to machine. But as you say, even spam that's getting filtered out is still a burden because there's that cost of actually filtering it out in the first place. Whether you're blocking it when it's sent, whether you're blocking it when it arrives, it's still work that we'd all rather not be doing. Well, on that note, uh, I'll conclude Software Security Chat Chat 174. Do you mean conclude, finish, bring to an end, stop, do no more of? <laughs> That's precisely what I was going to do. As always, I invite all of you to visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com for all the latest security news. Uh, you can get our podcast on iTunes, on the TuneIn app, over at player.fm, or you can go to soundcloud.com slash And until next week, stay secure. <laughs>